Last week would have been a good way to end the Jeremiah series that we've been going through. It was a really powerful time of prayer. Um, Many of you had asked for special prayers. We went through all of these sermons in Jeremiah, and it would have been a great way to end it. It's just that it's not. Uh, We added a bonus sermon. And uh, even in the bulletin, it says that last week was the last week uh, going through Jeremiah. But uh, as I kept reading through Jeremiah, this theme kept popping out. And I thought, man, we got to cover that somewhere. We got to come back to that because the theme keeps emerging. And then what happened was I walked through the Vegas airport. And you know how many good sermons can be written in the Vegas airport? I mean, a bunch of them can. And we, we walked through the, the Vegas airport, our family did, uh, just like on a, a layover. Uh, this summer, and uh, it cracks me up there. If you've never been there, it's one of the most depressing places on the planet because they have the slot machines everywhere, and there's all these people playing the slot machines, but playing is kind of too kind of a word because nobody's playful. And I've noticed this before, and so I decided to play this game with my kids. I said, as we go by, don't say anything out loud, don't be mean to anybody, but we're just going to whisper to each other, like, bored out of bored out of my mind for every person we see who's bored out of their mind and every person playing the slot. Have you seen them? They're, they're sitting there. I think they've been there for like 18 years and it's just like, dunging, ding, ding, ding. Every person, and it looks like they're about ready to die or they want to die and life is terrible. And it's just like, I'll do this again. I'll do this again. <laughs> I'll do this again. And it's really depressing. And it got me thinking about, How many people in life are kind of just living life that way? I'll get up again. I'll go to work again. I'll go to school again. I'll come home again. Go to bed again. And that's it. And they're bored out of their minds. God did not create you to live like that. He, He created you to be way more than that. And over the last several weeks, um, we've kind of had this mantra that we've built on, and I want to build on it just one more time today. We've said how God's love can overcome your anger, and God's faithfulness can overcome your doubts, and God's joy can overcome your sadness. God's peace can overcome your chaos. And today, we come to this conclusion that God's purpose can overcome your apathy. That, that God has a mission, a purpose, a passion to put in you. And last week we read about uh, this guy named Abed Melech who uh, was a servant or slave of the king and he risked his life to pull Jeremiah out of the cistern and he threw a rope down there and he actually had him pad it with the rags and ropes that he found in the weird palace basement. And he gathered all these things up and he pulled him out uh, with this great courage and this gentleness to rescue Jeremiah. And he wasn't the only person who was a servant or slave. In fact, um, slavery was common, uh, but it, it wasn't the same as we think about kind of, you know, um, antebellum America and in our form of slavery, because oftentimes you maybe signed a contract, and I'll, I'll be your slave for a certain amount of years, and it wasn't necessarily based on race or anything like that. But even with that said, if you were somebody's slave, you were not in a desirable position, okay? It wasn't a place where you want to be, and often the slave owner could certainly still abuse those privileges. And so God had commanded the Israelites to release their slaves, Every seventh year, he didn't want them to slip into this pattern of over and over of owning somebody else and oppressing them. He knew that would 
turn poorly for them. And in Jeremiah 34, he gives a specific instruction, and that's where, where I want to go to today. Jeremiah 34, and we're just going to read a few verses here, uh, beginning in verse 8. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to proclaim freedom for the slaves. Everyone was to free their Hebrew slaves, both male and female. No one was to hold a fellow Hebrew, Hebrew in bondage. So all the officials and people who entered into this covenant agreed that they would free their male and female slaves and no longer hold them in bondage. They agreed and set them free. Great. End of story, right? Ugh, I wish. We get to verse 11. But afterward, they changed their minds and took back the slaves they had freed and enslaved them once again. And you're like, ah, oh, again? You actually got it right for just a moment. But then what happens? Well, economically, we're going to suffer. So what do we do? Economics drive lots of sin. In our world, they still do. And so they release them, and then they grab them back. And imagine knowing what it was like to be like, I'm free. Never mind. I'm not. And it was almost a reminder of the Israelites trying to get away from Pharaoh. You're free. No, I changed my mind. You're not. You're still a slave. You're free. No, I changed my mind. But we read all throughout Jeremiah that God has this disdain for injustice, for oppression, for mistreating people. His heart aches for the person in need. In Jeremiah 22, 3, it says, Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. Who gets taken advantage the most in our society? Foreigner, fatherless, widow. I mean, that's kind of a list right there, isn't it? Because evil people are looking for people that they think might be vulnerable to prey upon them. And so God says, I'm concerned about these people. I really am concerned. And I want to just mention three things really quickly this morning. And then I have some guests that we're going to bring up on the stage here in just a moment. But first is this, um, as we talk about God's concern for justice and loving others and loving God, it's that I want you to believe that God desires your service. I mean, God commanded you, love the Lord your God, the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. See, a lot, a lot of times, loving God looks an awful lot like loving somebody else, right? Because God has said, love that person, even if they've been marching somewhere and you despise what they marched for. You love that person, even if you're, you're really frustrated with them. Love that person even when they've hurt you. And so love for God drives us to be good. And God says, I want you to be in the game. God did not create you to sit on the sidelines or to sit on the back row of the stands and just watch other people to try to love people. He created you. And you might say, well, I don't have enough resources to be used by God. You can think about the guy last week. He had a rope and some old rags and clothes. And he saved the day. He loved Jeremiah. He honored God in that. And I think God can take whatever resources we have or don't have and allow us to be used by him to love people and to care for people. 
if you feel like you don't have enough knowledge, that's why James says, ask for it. Pray for wisdom. If you feel overwhelmed, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. So trust that God desires to use you to care for people, to love other people. And secondly, speak. Speak. Don't always be quiet. Now, I I understand, James, we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Yes, a lot of us need to do, do a lot more work on the listening than the speaking. But there comes a time to also speak. And Jeremiah, remember, in chapter 20 says, all of this bad stuff has happened. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. But the word of the Lord is like this fire in my bones, and I cannot keep quiet. And I pray that God's fire would be in you to speak for what is right, to speak for the person who is oppressed and down or needs an encouraging word, that you would speak for them and to them. And so I just want you to know that you can be used by God, and God's called you to speak, and God has called you to do one thing, maybe more. But here's the deal. God has not called you to do a million things. And oftentimes I feel like uh, we, uh, as the church or as Christians or even just somebody who wants to do a good thing, they're like, I see this problem, but it's so overwhelming. What difference am I going to make? And it gets so complicated when you're like, man, I'm, I'm looking at the issue of human trafficking. How can one person do anything with all of that? I'm looking at the issue of poverty. How can one person, how can one church help so many people who are hungry? How can one person help so many people who are in emotional crisis right now or have family issues right now? How can one person, and God never told you that you have to fix all the problems in the world. Okay, so now that we got that off our shoulders, do something. Find one thing to do. I, I like Jeremiah 21. It, uh, it says, this is what the Lord says to you, house of David, verse 12. Administer justice every morning. Every morning. So you'll wake up and you do what is right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed, or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. And so God is saying every morning, you just get up. You do what is just and right and good. I read the story of a boy who had prolonged a science project, not for a couple days, but for weeks and weeks. And in the science project, he was supposed to uh, be writing about these birds. And he's got to sort of collect all this information about birds and have a whole big long list of them. And it was due the next day. And he had the books spread out on this table. And when his sister walked in the room, she saw him sobbing and crying. Because <laughs> he's like, I can't do all of this. And their dad walked in and he said, Son, pick up your book, just take it bird by bird. He walked out, and Anne Lamott wrote a book called Bird by Bird, and where she learned that lesson. And I think it's a good lesson for us that God has not called us to solve every issue in the world, but just take it bird by bird. Just find one thing to do, and God will give you the strength. God has probably already put it in your heart. God has probably already given you some direction. And this morning, as I was thinking about this sermon I thought, how can we get, like, hands-on? And we've dealt with some tough stuff, and how can we do something that's encouraging and give people something hands-on? And um, 
uh, I think God had led me to have a conversation with my friend Jason months ago um, that prepared us for this. And so I thought, this is not the entirety. This isn't, this even, this, just this one issue isn't for the entire church, but it's for some of the church. And the principles from it are for everyone. And so I thought, I want to invite up some people who have taken God's command very seriously to care for the orphaned or the child in need. And so, without further ado, would you please welcome my three guests, Valerie Lawmeyer, Summer Fairchilds, and Jason Grew. Would you give them a hand? You guys come on up. You guys can just... You guys can grab microphones there to your right. And so, um, many of you know Valerie and Summer. They're part of Highland Park and have been around for a little while. Valerie, since you were born? Yes. So, a little while. And... Um, and this is my friend Jason. Jason uh, and I met at Sunset Bible Camp, and we, uh, yeah, partnered together on many a camp adventure. And um, the Lord has led him to be more involved, uh, just uh, specifically. And so I'm going to let him tell you about that. So would you all just take maybe a, a couple moments to introduce yourselves and tell us kind of how you fit into this? Jason, we'll just start with you and go down the line. So my name is Jason. Like you said, I currently work with TFI Family Connections. It's a foster care agency that covers the entire state. Uh, I work as a, for lack of a better word, as a recruiter. So I get the privilege of traveling the entire state, speaking to people about the issue, uh, trying to find foster homes, but not only that, but people who will support those homes when we do find them. Okay, thank you. Like you said, my name is Summer. I work for an agency called Youth Services of Creek County. I've been there 11 years. Um, I'm the shelter counselor there, so while he's looking for homes, I'm holding the kids that are looking for homes. So we're a temporary placement for kids. A lot of them are in DHS due to abuse and neglect, um, 0 to 17. A lot of them are the teenagers because they're a lot harder to place because of their history of behaviors and stuff. So um, I deal with the broken ones while they're waiting for more permanent home. Yeah, okay. Valerie? Valerie, and I am a foster home, and I started fostering about 10 years ago in Kentucky, and I've had about 12 different foster children through my house, and I've adopted two. All right, yeah. And um, how big is the need for Christians to be involved? <laughs> um, so how, how big is the issue? And then mm-hmm. I guess I'll let you start with that, and then talking about how Im- Jason, if you want to start, then how important it is for Christians to be involved in some way. So one of the things that gets real discouraging is when you hear on the news in DHS says that there's 9,700 kids in state custody. That's a true statement. 9,700 children in state custody. Your eyes get real big. You're like, like he said, what can one person do? Um, in Tulsa County, the goal of, of foster care is to keep children close to home so they can be near their biological families to be reunited when it's appropriate. So in Tulsa County, we're short 157 homes in this county. Not every child is in need of a home. Some of them have foster homes or staying with relatives or something like that. 157 is a very large number. There's more churches than that in Tulsa County. If every church had one foster family, and that church supported that one foster family, the problem solved. To break it down one more, one more different way, if we had one new foster home, catch this, for every 1,400 homes, the problem solved. 
one home for every 1,400 homes. That's less than one-tenth of one percent. So we need people to just help us get the word out and who will step out. We can solve this problem. And I'll just um, jump on that to show from the foster end, as a foster mom, I've, my house um, has been closed this summer. I told my kids I'd take a break from fostering for the summer and I'd start when school starts. And so my foster care worker knows that school starts next week. And he's been like, are you ready? And I'm like, I'm ready, I'm re-, but I'm still waiting. But in this last week, I have had seven phone calls um, for probably about eight to nine different kids, ages two months to 14 years. I mean, the age range is wide. There's this huge need in Tulsa County at this time. And so just a little part of what I do, I, um, I'm on call every other week, and we get calls every day. Um, whether we can take a kid or not, and we try to protect the kids in our home. But um, for the Christian standpoint, in my eyes, um, a lot of our kids, I was telling Brian, um, some of my favorite words are faith, hope, and love. And those are probably the three things that a lot of our kids have lost due to their situations, people that are closest to them that have hurt them. And so, um, you know, you might not be able to be that home, but just to show love, um, teach your kids how to love on the difficult ones because they are difficult. It's not made for everybody. Um, and so I'm not saying, you know, be a foster parent, but if you're, if you can help a foster family just so that when they are struggling, that you can just help maintain. I mean, that's a lot of our kids. They just can't maintain or, uh, they get close to someone and then, you know, they burn that bridge because they're afraid of, you know, being hurt. So they hurt other people. So just supporting people and, you know, loving is the best way. And, our kids could use some love, so. Yeah. And so um, I was talking to Heath Hostetler, who's the executive director of Cooks and Hills, which is a mission Highland Park supports. And um, uh, we had lunch last week, and he was just telling me about the constant emotional struggle because he gets involved like anybody would and kids' stories, and sometimes those stories are just difficult. And he said it, it feels like three fires start every week, you know, it with some kids, some family, something that's happening. And, and so I know there's lots of challenges and I don't want to gloss over that. So I just want to give a moment and say, what's, what's maybe the biggest challenge or um, disappointment that you have faced or maybe currently face just kind of surrounding this? So I'm not a foster home, but as a recruiter, there's a lot of people who automatically assume that they can't do it. And so therefore they can't do anything. And um, I was one of those people, to be honest. My wife and I were considering doing foster care. My teenage son got into a lot of trouble. We didn't want to bring another uh, traumatized child into the home at that time. And so I thought, if I can't do this, what is something that I can do? And so I started creating events and things like that, which ended up leading to a job. Um, but I think that's one of the most discouraging things for from a recruitment standpoint is just people thinking, if I can't do the everything, then I'm going to do nothing. And um, God, God didn't set it up that way because not everybody can do everything. Uh, for me, it's not having control over the kids' situations that are with us um, because I see them day in and day out. I mean, we do the typical things that a family would do, but to see the broken and the hurtness um, that I can't restore or I try to, but I just don't always get to see the end 
or um, be able to put him in a family because we had a kid that lasted six months with us and he had been in and out of placement and he started to act up towards the end and he's like, it's nothing against you guys. I just want a family. And I'm like, man, I know we've been trying, you know, and just having no say over that. And then just to remember my own Christian walk and um, to not be another hurt to them and try to just show the love of Jesus and um, also being reminded that I'm human, but I might just be that one person for them. That's one of my struggles. There's a lot of struggles being a foster home, whether it's the kids or um, just, you know, trying to meet those needs. But for me, my biggest challenge is when they leave. And I've always heard, you know, I hear from a lot of people, I can never be a foster mom because, you know, I, I never want them to be to leave me, you know, or to go away. I'd never, I don't know how to, I would handle that. And that's hard. It's the hardest part. My first, uh, I was 29, uh, my first kid, and... He was 12 months old, and I had him for about a year and a half. And we were actually in the adoption process at one point. And then he went back. He ended up being reunited with his um, mom and dad. And that was the hardest thing. I still carry that. Um, I still cry about that. You know, it was so hard on me um, just because I wasn't expecting it at that time either. And every kid that leaves, I mean, I melt down. I cry. I, it's, it's horrible. But... I'm not called for it to be easy, you know. It's going to be hard. And just knowing that I've had a part in that kid's life, and I've taught him a little bit, I've brought him into church, he knows a little more. That's why I do it. And the one thing is you can take solace in knowing that you kept that child safe right. during that time. You know, I'm, I'm my uh, mom's guardian. She's in a nursing home, and by all means, I'd rather her stay with me. There's no possible way I could take care of her. So the only thing I have to lean back on is at least I've kept my mom safe. And that's what I tell foster families is it's so hard. I cannot imagine pouring your life into a child, but you can take joy in knowing for this period of time that child was loved and cared for and kept safe. Right, because if you're doing fostering right, then you're <coughs> treating them as if they were your own, as no different than if they were. Yeah, if you were like, oh, man, I'm glad they're gone, then you're doing the foster thing, not right. Not okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what has God taught you? Has there been, like, one big lesson that maybe God has taught you as you, as you, work, with, as you work with kids? Yeah, you want to start? You, you want, go, go ahead, Valerie. Yeah. I've just, what I've learned is that it's not about me. It's not about me feeling, oh, good, and these are sweet, cute little kids. It's not about me. It's about them. It's about loving them and loving their family. They're, sometimes it's really broken families, and you might not want to love them, but it's loving them also. And so it's about outside of me. It's not me. It's God. And I'm going to jump on that. We actually said it at the same time earlier, so I'm not just stealing it from her. Um, but it is, it's true. It isn't about me. And I think I try to remind myself that if I'm just that one person that plants that seed or waters it, that, you know, hopefully that'll make a difference. And one day when they're ready to hear more about Jesus or when their brokenness is ready to be healed, that they can um, be changed or whatever. Because like I said, it, it is hard. It is frustrating, but there's so many rewards when you do see success, when the kids do come back, it takes one kid. If you could just change one kid's life, if you could just mentor or teach or volunteer and change one person's life, that's enough. Um, and it, it gets me through, like I said, I've been at it 11 years and trying not to burn out is important. So when the kids come back and say, Hey, I'm making it, um, 
it does help. But I think what God's taught me is for me to do my part and to let God do his. And um, the, the scripture says in, in Psalm 68 that God is a father to the fatherless and a, a defender of the weak. But the very, fir- the very next verse says that <clears throat> he sets the lonely in families. And, <clears throat> excuse me, children aren't wired to be in group homes. They're not wired to be in state custody. They're wired to be in families. But as a foster care worker of sorts, it's not my job to find the family. It's my job to rely on God and get the message out and for him to bring the family. He's the one who sets the lonely in families. So with that, not everyone here's <clears throat> supposed to be a foster family, supposed to be a foster parent, but maybe it is you. And if God's called you to do it, he's placing a specific child with you for your family. Yeah, thanks. Um, and Valerie, we'll, we'll go back and start with you. Um, just how would you encourage folks sitting out here today, um, if you could say one thing to them, what would it be? Well, um, my encouragement to you is that if you know me at this church, then you know my two little ones, Alex and Bianca, and they are adorable and they're wonderful and most of the time. <laughs> if they haven't ran you over in the hallway, sorry about that. Um, they do like to run in the church. But that, that my encouragement is, is that you will receive blessings also it is hard but it's also a blessing and i was blessed with being able to adopt my two little ones yeah did we get a picture did we oh there they are yeah um can i just tell one story about bianca so i went to a party that valerie had when the adoption stuff kind of got finalized um for alex and bianca and and um she was Everybody had name tags, and she was practicing writing her last name, Lawmeyer. And she was so proud of that. I don't know that I'll ever forget that. Um, to see how proud she was of her family was pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it's, it's awesome, but it's also, I mean, it's also hard as a mom knowing that, I mean, they are mine, but I'm not the one who birthed them. They have a, a bio mom out there that, you know, and so that's also hard. But yeah. they're a big blessing. Okay. Summer, one word of encouragement or for our folks? I guess for me, um, it's, it, like I said, don't feel guilty if you can't be a foster parent. It really isn't made for everyone. If you want to find out, you can come volunteer at the shelter and learn <laughs> kind of what it's going to be like. The struggles will be very real with you. Um, you just have to be 21 years or older and pass the background check. So you can come and be around the type of kids that might come into your home. But um, honestly, it just takes time. And it's hard for me to take time. Like, I, you know, the 220 center, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. And I haven't made time for it. But if you can just take the time to come mentor once a month, play games with a kid, play basketball, they remember those stories when they leave us more than they remember me telling them to clean their room and to, you know, how was school and things like that. So just pouring into them and, again, just putting time into it. You might have your own skills. It could be cooking, anything, something simple will make the world of a difference. And all it is is honestly time. We even provide arts and crafts and stuff like that. So really just putting time um, into someone, whether it's 
at a shelter, a foster family, a foster parent that you know, um, your kids have a friend at school, just, you know, being a break for them and just praying for them, honestly, just praying for them so that the cycle can stop. To piggyback on that, I'll, I'll share one or two scriptures real quick. The, the scripture where Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you've done it unto me. And the verses that are right around that, in that context, Jesus says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Foster care. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Foster care. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Foster care. I needed clothes and you clothed me. Foster care. I was sick and you looked after me. Foster care. I was in prison and you came to visit me. These are the parents. Foster care. So what I would encourage you to do is to find your whatever. When Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do it unto me. And like they've been saying, it doesn't have to be the whole gamut, but maybe you can provide a meal for a foster family when they have a new child coming in. So you can bake a lasagna so they can take that time to get to know that child. Maybe you can offer to give them a $20 gift card to go get to Walmart and get a few clothes because they're literally coming with the clothes on their back. There's lots of different ways to serve. Some of these children have moved from school to school to school to school to school, and they need people, like they've said, to mentor and teach them. Well, many foster parents have children of their own. So can you imagine having to add to that? So maybe you can help mentor and teach and things like that. So there's a hundred different ways you can help with that. So while I agree, not everybody's called to be a foster parent. I dare to say that Christ has put it within everybody that he has equipped you to be able to do something in the realm of helping with these children. Would you give them a hand? You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, all three are going to just be available in the lobby afterwards if you have questions. I tell you, I was praying, and I feel like this will be the case. I feel like there's probably a couple people here, and you're going to everybody, – everybody says this almost after every sermon that gets preached, and I don't think just here, but about anywhere. And they say, man, it was like God was talking just right to me. And I was like, well – I didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> um, that's between you and God. And my prayer has been that, that maybe a few of you here would be like, okay, God was speaking to me because we've already been kind of thinking about this or God has kind of um, shown this to me. And listen, there's no reason to be bored in life. There's way too many needs out there. And whether it be with somebody young or somebody old or, or somebody who lives nearby or maybe partnering with a ministry we just want to say be involved in loving people. God has called you to that. And when you love people, it might be difficult and it might be hard, but it is not boring. God has not called you to be bored. There's way too much out there. And it is the difficult stuff that brings the greatest joy. And so if as a church family we can help you, we certainly want to do that. We see in the life of Jesus that he actually went from the baptistry into his ministry, and that's how God has called all of you, to go from baptistry to ministry. And if you have not 
been baptized to say that you want to follow Jesus with your life and die to your old self, be made new again, then we want this to be a day where you say, I need Jesus in my life, and I have felt maybe on the the bad end of a family, or maybe I caused some of that. And regardless of that, Jesus says, I will forgive you and take you by the hand, and you walk with me uh, in this life and in the life to come. And God offers that to forgive your sins and to give you the Holy Spirit. And we want to offer that to you today. And maybe you've been in the baptistry, but you've been taking too much time to jump into ministry. (laughs) And maybe you've been ignoring that part. And regardless of what that ministry is, whether it's through one of the many ministries at Highland Park, or maybe you're just caring for a neighbor kid or a neighbor widow, or maybe an older couple in need across the street, you find a way to love people. That's what God has called us to. This morning, if you would like a time of prayer, if you would like someone to pray with you, uh, even during uh, this next song here in a moment, you're welcome to come up, and we'll have some folks here at the front and sides who would be glad to pray with you, talk with you. If you want to talk to someone about baptism and following Christ, we'd be glad to visit with you either today, or you can just mark that on your card, and we'll find a time to talk to you this week. If you would, would you stand? Let me, let me pray for us. God, we're encouraged today by the good work that you are doing on this planet. And we see lots of bad stuff on the TV. That's not hard to find. And um, we're encouraged today for how you have equipped every believer to be your hands and feet and voice, to give your hugs, speak your words of encouragement to kids uh, who maybe the most vulnerable in our world, needing that. And to, to care for people, uh, maybe who have lost loved ones or are in a crisis or in a place of life with lots of fear. You've called the church um, to be your hands and feet, and I pray that we can do that. And for anyone here who has not given their life to you and, um, and they need you to break through their heart to give them your kindness and compassion and the fruit of the spirit pray that today would be the day for them too and it's in jesus name we pray amen